Today's bonus audio is the third talk from a series I gave earlier this year on the crisis of commitment, how we can seek first the kingdom in a me-first world. In the first two talks, we covered committing to Christ and committing to community. Today's talk is about committing to the craft, taking serious the work that Jesus has called us to and learning how to give ourselves fully to it. If you're encouraged by this audio, please share it with a friend. It's an easy way that you can partner with us to spread the message and mission of Jesus. It's been a lot of fun for Cindy and I to be here with you all this weekend. And my prayer leading up to this time as as I thought about being here and, and talked with Clay and Tyler and Danny over email and by phone about the theme of this weekend being the commitment that Christ is calling us to. My prayer from the outset has been that that we would leave this weekend with a clearer picture of the kind of lives that Jesus is calling us to, and that we would have the inspiration, the motivation to, to move forward based on that clearer picture, and that we would have maybe some starting points. So those have been my, my three prayers for this time together how to get started because many of you are at the very outset of your adult lives and it's it's an untold story it's an unwritten story at this point uh, will you respond to this call of Christ and again I'm so appreciative to have uh, you all sharing because you're sharing from the standpoint of a life lived with Christ and it gives a lot of inspiration and, and hope to those of us who are younger Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desirable for a person is to show loyal love. What's desirable is for a person to show loyal love. And one of the amazing truths that we find in the Bible is that the way that we live matters to God. And you know, it's such a, a simple truth that we can miss the amazing truth that's found there that the way you choose to live your life and the choices that you make as you go through life bring God joy or sorrow. I think it's incredible. And maybe David was struck by this when he wrote Psalm 8. He said, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I look at the night sky and the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. And God's ways are truly not our ways. If God were like us, it wouldn't matter how one solitary individual chose to go about living their lives. Our lives would be lost in the sea of seven and a half billion other people that that live on the earth. But God sees you, and God cares about whether you seek to live for Him. A verse that uh, Clay quoted Yesterday, Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. And so 
one thought that I, I want you to take with you is that don't, don't think too little of yourself or of your life here on this earth. It matters, and the way you live it matters because it matters to God. So on our first night together, we talked about committing ourselves fully to Christ and about how Jesus is worthy of our ultimate devotion because He is unlike any other person who has ever walked on the face of the earth and because God has made Him Lord and Christ and has called all people to live under His authority. And we talked about being crucified with Christ about dying to ourselves so that He could live His life through us, in our time, in our place, and in our generation. And then last night we talked about how this commitment to Christ needs to be lived out in practical ways. And so we can come to a retreat like this and we can get inspired, we can become stirred up, that really won't matter much if we don't then live out this commitment to Christ in practical ways as we go out from this weekend. We talked about two additional commitments that we need to make to live out our commitment to Christ. And so the first was commitment to community. And the second that we're going to look at this morning is committing to the craft. So committing to the family and committing to the family business. Well, what is the family business? That would be a good question to ask. What is this work that we're supposed to commit ourselves to? And I suggest it's best understood by examining the life and work of Jesus himself. As Clay was talking about from 1 Corinthians 11, those those footprints of Jesus that Paul was seeking to follow and that he was then calling back to us to follow him. You see, Jesus did not come to earth on a sightseeing trip. He didn't come here to hang out. Jesus came to earth on business for God. He came to accomplish the work that the Father had sent him to do. Over 40 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus describes himself as the one who was sent by the Father into the world to accomplish his work. And then in John 17, as Jesus prayed for his disciples and for those who would come to know him through their witness, he said this, as you sent me into the world, I am now sending them. And the work of Jesus is our work. Well, what is this work? How did Jesus describe it? Jesus said, I have come to call sinners to repentance. I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come to proclaim freedom to the captives. I have made your name known to them. I have given them your word. I have come that they might have life. The work of Jesus is to bring us back to God. Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, why? To bring you to God, 1 Peter 3.18. The work of Jesus is to create a people who live with God. Christ died for sins so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may 
live together with God. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 The work of Jesus is to create a people who live for God. Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.15 The Bible tells us what the work of Christ is. And in short, the work of Jesus is to make disciples. Or to say it another way, to create a people on the earth who belong to God, who live with God, and who live for God. That is the work of Jesus, the family business. And it's amazing, he's called us to join him in that work. Now, if we're going to get involved in this work, we're going to need vision, we're going to need heart, and we're going to need a strong work ethic. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to spend some time in Mark 6 this morning. And as you're turning there, I'll try to set the scene. Life has been extremely busy for Jesus and his disciples. When we get to Mark 6, the 12 are just returning from traveling around Galilee. Jesus had sent them out two by two on a short-term mission to proclaim his message, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. They're just returning from that time of traveling and doing that work. And what's more, Jesus and his disciples have just received news that John the Baptist was beheaded. So all of that has just happened before these verses that we're about to read. Tired from their work, still processing the news about John, Jesus suggests that they withdraw to a remote location for a time of rest. And that's where we're going to pick things up in Mark 6, verse 30. We're going to read verses 30 through 44 this morning. So follow along as I read these verses. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. Send the people away into the surrounding countryside and villages so they can buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate 
and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. All right, so this is one of my favorite stories about Jesus and his disciples. And I believe it has a lot to teach us about vision, heart, and work ethic when it comes to the family business. So let's work through the story together. And I'd like for this to be interactive. So to get us started, I want you to imagine that you are shooting this entire scene as a movie or for a movie. And so you have to take it from being words on a page and turn it into a video. This is actually a great way to do Bible study, to go through this process. So first of all, who are you going to cast? Who's going to be the characters in the scene? This is the interactive part. (laughs) So you need Jesus. You need a lot of extras, right? Like it needs to at least look like 5,000. You've got to have a lot of people. And green grass. Yeah, I mean, that's the second question is, where will you be filming? What does the location look like? Well, you're, you're going to have a, a couple of scenes, right? Maybe three different locations, actually. So you'll start off, maybe the opening scene will be Jesus and the disciples. And, and what's happening in that opening scene? It's busy, right? People are coming and going. It's so busy. What does Mark tell us? They didn't have time to eat. Very busy. Um, and so then there's a scene where Jesus says, let's withdraw. Let's, let's go away to a desolate place and rest. And so the next scene might be just no words, but Jesus and his disciples in the boat on the lake, right? And then you would have a cut scene to the shore and what was happening on the shore. All of your extras are running. And then your third scene is going to be as the, as the boat comes to land And you kind of get the idea there. Now, imagine you are are one of the the disciples in the boat. So how are you feeling as you you push away from shore with with Jesus to go to this this time of rest? How are you feeling at that moment? Maybe a little sad? Probably looking forward? Hungry? Yeah. Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of emotions, I think, that they were experiencing as they, as they pushed away. And I suspect they were really looking forward to, to this time away with just them and Jesus. Okay, as, as the boat nears shore, <laughs> what do you see? <laughs> yeah, that's what Jesus saw. What do you think you what do you think the disciples saw? Oh boy. Yeah, this was supposed to be a quiet place, uh, a desolate location. 5,000 people as you're moving towards the shore. We won't say what they felt, but if you were a disciple, what would you have felt perhaps as as the boat was nearing the shore? Maybe a little Irritation? Maybe some some frustration? We don't know, but maybe. Now, Holly already said, what did Jesus see as the boat comes to shore? Look at verse 34. What did Jesus see? He saw two things, right? Initially, it says he saw a large crowd, which 
I think is sort of an understatement. Um, of course, he saw 5,000 plus people, but he also saw uh, sheep without a shepherd. How did Jesus feel about what he saw? He had compassion on them. Now, this is a word that I think the significance gets lost as it translates into English. Felt compassion is a, a pretty generic phrase, but if you go back to the Greek, it's literally, uh, it's a physical response that Jesus had. It's like a punch to the gut, a very strong, a very strong reaction. It's the same word. For those of you who remember in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke tells us what happened to Judas. Um, if you guys remember how his life ended, he uh, hanged himself. And it says that he threw himself headlong um, to hang himself. And it says that his, uh, his midsection burst open and his bowels gushed forth. It's the same word that Jesus felt compassion, that, that his stomach was turned when he saw these sheep without a shepherd. Now, what, is Je- what did Jesus do in response to what he saw? He began to teach them. Very, I think very interesting. So Jesus saw a large crowd, but he saw them as they really were. He saw them in their spiritual need. He cared about their need. And then he took action. He began to teach them many things, Mark tells us. And so you get the idea that Jesus was teaching for a while, both because Mark tells us he taught them many things and because he then says as it was getting towards evening. So what do you think the disciples were feeling during this time of Jesus teaching them many things? Hopefully, Jealousy, yeah. Waiting, waiting. Yeah, what do you imagine maybe they were doing during this time of teaching? It doesn't really say, so we're taking some license here, but they were people like us. I think maybe uh, Andrew walked over to Matthew and said, man, when are these people going to leave? You know, I, I thought Jesus was going to spend time with us. What, what's going to happen? Maybe, maybe they were uh, sort of talking amongst themselves hoping that uh, the crowds would somehow leave. We don't know. But when it grew late, we do know the disciples had a suggestion that they came to Jesus with. And what was it in verses 35 and 36? A very sensible idea. It's late. We're in a remote location. We don't have a lot of food. Send the people away into the surrounding villages so... They can buy themselves something to eat. You could say that the disciples saw the people. They perhaps had concern. They they saw a need. And their solution was to send the people away. And Jesus has a counter suggestion. And what is it? You give them something to eat, which I think is uh, pretty amazing. (laughs) You give them something to eat. So they have an objection to this. What is it? We don't, we don't have enough food. Yeah. And I think, personally, I think that they were somewhat frustrated when they said this. Like, How could you tell us to give them something to eat? So they say, 
we don't have enough Jesus. But he has an answer to that, which is, how much do you have? Go and see. And I, I want us to hear those words today. We'll come back to that. So in verse, um, let's find it here. They come back. Ah, yeah, verse 38. When they found out, they said, five, five loaves, two fish. Now, again, just our imagination. How do you think they said that when they came back to Jesus? Yeah, maybe like if you're playing chess, it's like, we told you we didn't have enough. We've got five loaves of bread and two fish for this mass of people. And then Jesus says, all right, have the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100. No indication that he told them what was going to happen next. Just take the next step to organize the people. And then I, I think that the sequence of what happens here is very important. So they, they bring what they have to Jesus, this small amount. He takes it and begins to break and multiply. But then he gives it back to the disciples. And the disciples are the one are the ones who take it out and give it to the people. And the result in verse 42, it says that they all ate. And not only that, they were all satisfied. We find out later they even had an abundance left over after the crowd was fed. So here's one important point I take from this story. God does not call us to be involved in the family business because he needs our help. He calls us to be involved in the family business because he wants our heart. Jesus wanted his men to see the people the way that he saw them, not as a nuisance, not as something that was getting in their way, but as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wanted his men to care about the people the way that he cared about them. He felt compassion for them. He was moved by their condition. And Jesus wanted his men to join him in his work of helping the people. You give them something to eat. I believe he wants the same for us today. And no excuse is going to work, right? It doesn't matter that you have five loaves and two fish. In fact, Jesus doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear how much you don't have or why it's not enough. He asks, how much do you have? Go and see. And every one of us here today has something. So don't focus on why you don't have enough. What do you have? Go and see. Do we see the people the way Jesus sees them? Do we care about them the way Jesus cares? How much do you have? And will you bring it to Jesus so that he can multiply it, give it back to you so that you can share it with others? If you join Jesus in his work, it will be enough. They will all eat and be satisfied. Later in this passage, it actually tells us, some of your Bibles will say that this was a lesson. Later, uh, Jesus has to walk on water, and it says, because their hearts were hardened, 
and they didn't understand the lesson of the loaves. So yes, this was a great miracle, but it was also meant as a lesson for the disciples. There was something Jesus was trying to teach them through this. Vision, heart, and a willingness to work. Because getting involved in the family business and dedicating yourself to the craft will require work, like it did for Jesus and his disciples in this story, it will often involve the sacrifice of your plans, of your space, and certainly of your comfort. But it's worth it. And that's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians to always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I want to finish by encouraging you to cultivate two attitudes And then I want to give you three practical things that you can do this week. You can begin doing this week to dedicate yourself to the family business. So the two attitudes I want you to cultivate are enthusiasm for the present and excellence for the future. They both start with E because I like words that start with the same letter. Enthusiasm for the present but also excellence for the future. Because if you're just getting started in helping others walk with Jesus, enthusiasm is the number one thing that you have to offer. But you can offer that from the very beginning, to be wholehearted in serving however you can. But at the same time, you do want to develop the attitude of a learner. And that's where excellence for the future comes in to play. Paul could describe himself as a wise master builder in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because he had spent years learning the ways of faith in Christ and learning how to teach them to others. So have enthusiasm in the present, but also have a commitment to excellence for the future. Develop yourself and grow in the craft Take notes, learn from others, and devote yourself as a disciple maker. So Danny built this amazing house. Um, I could not build that house. (laughs) I have spent no time developing myself as a wise master builder. You You don't come to a place where you build a house like that without developing an attitude of excellence of really trying to develop your skills in the craft. And the same is true as a disciple maker. So balance these two things out that you can start right now in sharing your faith and making disciples. Whose phone is on? I have an alarm set for 10.02 because Luke 10.2 says pray for laborers. And so uh, that's my alarm going off. So it's 10.02. One of the few things that Jesus told us specifically to pray for is pray for laborers. Yeah, let's do it. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can pray to you and have confidence that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you are at work. Lord Jesus, you are alive. You are alert. You are active. You are all-powerful. And we've seen and heard testimony of that uh, this day. Thank you that you are active in our lives. And thank you, Lord, that as we read about these amazing stories in the Scripture or we hear about them through testimonies like John and Ruth's, 
Lord, we, we, we follow the same God who wants to work in our lives. And so I pray that you would send us out as laborers into the harvest and that you would also raise up and send out laborers from this place into other parts of the Navy and the nations as workers in your harvest. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So have enthusiasm. If you have five loaves and two fish, it's enough. It's enough to get started. Be enthusiastic about learning how to share your faith and make disciples. But develop yourself. Grow. Have, have an attitude of excellence for the future. Try to get better at it. Three practical ways that you can get started in the craft this week. First, make a prayer list and start praying through it daily. Second, start inviting people to join you in events that you're already involved in. Adopt a come and see approach. And third, start stocking your toolbox. So we'll say just a few things about each of those as we close. So the first thing that you can do and the most basic way to labor is prayer. In fact, prayer is also is often described as laboring. You know, Paul said that he was laboring in prayer um, for those churches that he was investing in. Um, Ruth's story this morning of, of praying for John and not just trying to make the work happen. Uh, prayer is the most basic step that you take to begin making disciples, is to begin to pray. And there's nothing that's keeping you from doing it. You can begin to pray this week. But I would encourage you to pray purposefully. And so I would encourage you to make a prayer list. It could be on a three by four uh, card, put it in your Bible, and every day begin to pray through that list. And I would encourage you to have two, two types of prayer requests on that card. The first would be things that you want God to do in your life, things that you're trusting Him for. And the second is for people that you're around that you want to encourage towards Him. Begin to pray for those people by name. And the Lord is, He is the potter. He has, Scripture tells us that He can turn the heart of the kings like water. And there's this, there's this mystery about how we have the freedom to choose, and yet God is able to steer us. But you know, God can work through His Holy Spirit and our conscience. He can work through circumstances to nudge us onto the path. And He can work through other people, not just us, but He can bring other people um, into the lives of those that we're reaching out to and praying for to point them towards Him. So I, I would encourage you to pray. And as you pray, pray those specific things that God would use His Spirit, circumstances, and other people to bring the ones you're praying for to know Him. Second is to invite. Did you know that the first several disciples found Jesus as a result of a simple invitation not a dramatic presentation of the gospel. So, Andrew met Jesus through John the Baptist, and then it says that he went and he found his brother Simon, or Peter, and he said, come and see. And the same thing happened with Philip and Nathaniel. 
So just, you're already involved in certain activities throughout the week. Begin to invite others to a, a retreat like this. Invite them to come and see and to join you. And the third thing that you can do is to begin stocking your toolbox. Now, I asked Danny if I could borrow this. Who is familiar with this? What do we call this? Yeah, a Gerber or a Leatherman. And uh, what's the idea here? Yeah, it's a basic, simple set of tools that if you have it, you can actually do a lot of different things with this. You know, there's a, there's a Phillips screwdriver, a, a can opener, a set of pliers. You know, it's got a little ruler here, a saw. There's a lot that you can do. Now, you're not going to build a house with this, but uh, it's a great set of tools to have to get started. And so uh, one, one thing that we have come up with that I want to make available to you guys today is what we call a Disciple Maker's Leatherman. And so this is meant to be something similar to this. It's a set of 21 basic tools. It's not everything you're going to need, but it's definitely something that can get you started in learning how to share your faith. 21 tools that you can use. I've got 20 copies back there. You guys can just pick them up for free. They're also uh, we've got them on the website, so if we run out, you can definitely just download it. It's the same, it's the same material, just in digital. But there are seven stories from the gospel, and one of the best ways to share your faith is just to read through a story from the Bible with someone and talk through it just the way we did here with Mark 6. Uh, there are seven basic illustrations. Some of them you may have already seen, like the wheel illustration is in there, the hand illustration. And then there are seven audios. And that's the easiest way. If, if you have someone that's willing to sit down and actually listen to an audio with you, and then you can just talk about what did they say? What does it mean? So these are 21 tools, uh, a Disciple Maker's Leatherman, that you can pick up and begin using this week. And I would, I would encourage you to try to set a goal for yourself to, to share one story a week or one illustration or one audio when Paul described himself as a wise master builder, he was a craftsman. And I believe that, that we're called to be craftsmen, that a, a disciple makers are craftsmen. So they're not white collar and they're not just an unskilled laborer. To, to make disciples uh, requires that, that we be craftsmen. Uh, my first job was um, after graduating school, I worked at a small shop where we designed and built customized equipment for manufacturers. And I was in the office, so my job was to, to take the end product that, that the customer wanted to build and then design a piece of equipment that would actually create that, that end product. And so... I would design it, I would draw up blueprints, and then I would supervise the project as, as the piece of equipment was actually made. But I was always in awe of the craftsmen, the machinists and the welders who would actually build what I had on this piece of paper. 
Um, they weren't white collar. They knew how to actually create something that didn't exist because they had knowledge, but also skill. And as disciple makers, that's what I believe God is calling us to be, to, to know him and to know his word, but to also know how to share it with others and to make disciples. So grab a copy of that booklet. It's a set of tools, but the tools won't help you if you don't know how to use those tools. So you have to actually use them. Uh, John, Danny told us a story about the tape measure incident when he was a, uh, a young kid. I don't know if uh, you guys remember that, but you have to learn how to use the tools. Um, we had at the shop that I worked with, a, uh, the best machinist that we had, uh, he was a wizard. His name was Bruce. And you could give him a piece of paper. You didn't have to supervise him. He would, he would make it. He could weld. He could run a lathe. But he had a, a cousin named Jeremy who was younger. And Jeremy was, his parents must have had money because when he got hired on, his, his dad bought him a whole set of tools. Beautiful toolbox all the tools that he would need, but Jeremy didn't know how to use the tools. So you couldn't just give him a piece of paper and leave him unsupervised. You really had to make sure that you stayed with him. So get the tools, but then learn how to use them. You actually have to try to use them, and that's how you become skilled. And God will use those who dedicate themselves. So if you start this week and you keep at it, God will use you to make disciples. So committing yourself to Christ and dedicating your life from this point forward to Him because He is worthy, but then living out that commitment in practical ways by dedicating yourself to community, dedicating yourself to the craft. God doesn't need our help, but He does want our hearts. He wants us to see people the way He sees them, to care about them the way that he cares about them and to join him in the work that he is doing. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Paul said in Philippians that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as he thought about his own future at that time, his preference was to depart and to be with you. And he said that that was much better to be with you. And yet, he knew that there was work that you had for him still on the earth. And he says, if I am to remain on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And it's as if the, the only reason why we would stay on this earth that we would live this life that you've given us is because there is fruitful labor that you want us to join you in giving our lives to you. Lord, to depart and to be with you would be much better. But you have us here, and so I pray that you would help us to see people the way that you see them, to care about them the way that you care about them, and then to learn how to get involved and to join you in your work. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your patience. You were patient with your first disciples. You're patient with us but you're calling us to go and see and to take what we do have and to dedicate it to you so that you can take it and multiply it and use it to meet the needs of others around us. 
So I pray for this group of believers as they go forth from this weekend, especially for the younger ones, Lord, that they would take these words to heart and that this week they would begin to be very purposeful about praying, about inviting others to join them in what they're already doing and following you, and then that they would begin sharing these basic tools with others. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can help us reach more people by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a review. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about us. In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the best way to spread the message.